Welcome to the S-Files, sponsored by Serve Wisconsin, Wisconsin's National and Community Service Board. I'm your host, Kyle Flower, Communications and Government Affairs Officer for Serve Wisconsin. S-Files is your look into the impacts and stories of AmeriCorps members and volunteers serving throughout the state of Wisconsin. Each episode, we'll be digging into their service story, or S-Files, to learn about the people and programs whose service is meeting critical needs across Wisconsin and enriching the lives of the people and communities they serve. In this episode, we are continuing our conversations about volunteer efforts to provide assistance to the Afghan guests at Fort McCoy by speaking with some of our regional VOAD partners about how they've participated in this effort and other disaster response efforts they've done to support their local communities. Up first, we're talking with Jen Schmitz from River to Ridge Disaster Resilience to learn about the roles their organization has played in supporting these efforts. So Jen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm going to lead off with the first thing being River to Ridge Disaster Resilience is not a specialist in like welcoming and immediate response efforts, which is really where we're still at when it comes to welcoming the Afghan guests. Where River to Ridge has kind of our sweet spot is in long-term recovery, and just as you had introduced, it's really to local disasters, which flooding has really been the thing that has been what got us started, but we're realizing like there's there's so many opportunities to donate and volunteer in the area and we can help with the communications and step into this long-term resettlement phase. Well, that's great. What are some of the pieces that River Ridge has been able to do in the short term than anything you envision happening kind of in that long term? Yeah, great question. So short term, like we've really just specialized in communication support for the Wisconsin VOAD organizations that are actually coming to our region, right? Coming right to Fort McCoy to help. And so it, it's been the basics of like show up to meetings, follow social media, report feedback to the contacts that we know need that information so that they can respond very timely to either information requests or misinformation so that people understand what's really happening and where the opportunities really are. And I think that information sharing is probably an even bigger thing. I think you guys are located roughly what, like 30 minutes away from Fort McCoy? Correct. At least for part of us. Barocco starts to get a little bit further away. But um, yeah, we're we're definitely in the neighborhood of Fort McCoy. And like I grew up with Fort McCoy in my county, right? They've always been very active in Monroe County. So And so on the short term, what are some roles that volunteers have been able to play with helping out? Yeah, in the short term, Red Red Cross and Team Rubicon have really stepped in with that initial leadership, initiating housing and other personal needs and establishing the volunteer programs and where volunteers can show up. Catholic Charities, Lutheran Social Services, and many of the other churches have been very active then in bringing in the donations, sorting donations, and they are now also coming in with the volunteer coordination efforts and and scheduling. And so there's many opportunities right there. I can't believe one, the outpouring of donations that we've had. But then in any disaster, those of us that kind of do this in all times realize there's this other disaster after the disaster that sometimes donations really are. And this one happened like that. But realizing that that takes a small core of volunteers that are sorting, getting the right items to the people in need, and then pushing off items to other 
distribution centers because people do need clothing. They do need household goods, even if all of these don't meet the needs for the Afghan guests today. So it's been really interesting to see how that happens, no matter what, whether it's COVID, whether it's a natural disaster or a humanitarian crisis. And then what are some things that people can still do right now to help out? And what are some things you think people will be able to do coming up in the future? Oh, another great question. Right now, there are specific donation items as we prepare for winter. And there are virtual lists out on Amazon Smile that if people, that's what they want to do, that's still a great opportunity. But then there's the there's more emerging volunteer needs, both like at Fort McCoy, but then as we move to resettlement, there's going to be other volunteer needs in other communities. And welcome US is a great website and source of all of these opportunities. When I was looking at it this morning, a couple of the things that struck me is like there's needs for Airbnb. I bet you that's for both volunteers and the guests as they migrate to resettle. What were some of the other things I saw? Like always there's the, you know, human hygiene aspects are always something. Today they were also asking for like, are we ready to start placing furniture in communities? Are there storage units and staging areas for that? And there's, you know, as, like I said, the, the churches and the religious organizations are so willing to help. I know United Methodist was talking about how they do some very unique, like household items in a box as something as a great welcome to whoever is coming to their services for need. And there are going to be a lot of long-term pieces on this. People were initially focusing on concerns as people were first coming over, but as resettlement continues and as needs continue to develop throughout the winter and then throughout these next phases. Yes, absolutely. Another great point, like this is the long-term, you know, it's a marathon, so we all have to pace ourselves. And it's, you know, that good reminder of we have to take care of ourselves so we can continue caring for others. Yeah. And so I think it's a lot of that preparation right now that people are realizing, you know, it's the volunteer ask is really for, can you come for a week at a stretch or two weeks at a stretch? Or can you come every Monday? Or are you actually available five days a week? You know, and what's that time frame? So yeah, it's going to be a huge effort overall. And so just thank you for the role that you're playing communicating with others in the volunteer organizations assisting in disasters networks, and going through that to help people understand what's needed on that local level. Yeah, yeah, gladly. And it's coordination, right? That makes it all go, go smoothly. Thinking about long-term issues and solutions and pieces. Another thing that unfortunately has been a little long-term has been we've been dealing with COVID for now about a year and a half. And I'm sure that's had some big impacts on some of the work you might've been doing in the community and then also looking at your ability to do some other disaster relief. So what have been some of the impacts that have happened with COVID and how has that impacted the type of service and what response efforts you might have done on that phase? I mean, first of all, the first thing COVID did for River to Ridge disaster resilience was we moved everything from in-person meetings to, which we had been doing in-person and virtual hybrid, but everything went virtual, you know, right away. And we've tried to figure out, you know, what works right now. But honestly, the one thing we found is our membership is decreasing as people are either stepping into different jobs and or other volunteer roles and or schedules are just really full with the combination of both. So like we've been like we wanted to be growing membership and our activities by, you know, 21, but that's kind of been this reverse of, okay, how do we maintain? How do we just keep getting everything done? And we've been doing all right. And like when we had some localized flooding 
in early August, Red Cross stepped in and did some stuff. We got our application out to do that assistance, but we were adapting to doing it all pretty much virtual, which has been an adjustment. And then like, I think all communities, all states, we have felt the the divide in our communities about how people feel and view the general response to COVID, the economic fallout, you know, all of it. And we try to just come back to, well, people are stressed. We can listen. We can reassure them that we've heard their perspective and we can offer them as many support opportunities as possible. And so we just really try to focus on that and that no matter what emergencies, disasters, and crisis will continue. And then did you all do anything with the direct COVID response efforts within these local communities, or was it mainly sticking to disaster issues? We didn't do a ton of specific to disaster, but one of our partners and members, Cooley Cap and Project Recovery, were very active in that like COVID active listening and seeking support and uh, network connections. And that one we definitely gave space to in all of our meetings. We all listened and disseminated information pretty much as soon as a meeting was over. And, you know, we worked, we also worked pretty tightly with things like the Wisconsin Primary Health Care Association because we had health centers in the area that were active. And we have members that cross over into you know, other organizations that are very active in that area. So in some ways, we were just connectors of of messages, amplifiers of the important messages. And I think that gets me to a big part of the, the Volunteer Generation Fund effort that Serb Wisconsin launched with creating uh, volunteer organizations assisting disasters that are doing that connection work. And River to Ridge is one of our uh, six regional partners. We have one, we have someone that's in each of the six Wisconsin Emergency Management regions. And so you tell us about the progress you've made in creating some of those local co-ads and VOADs and what effects you've seen so far from the efforts. That, another great question, Kyle, and thanks for the explanation because it's been a great opportunity for River to Ridge. The thing I like best about what Wisconsin VOAD has just made really normal is we have a weekly call um, where we're checking, or maybe monthly, but checking in very regularly. And then as like this Afghan guest need came up, that's become a weekly regular standing call where there's just this reliable source of information, place where if you've got major questions, concerns, or opportunities and skills you want to share, that's the forum to get to and do it. And it kind of circling back to that when we do all this work in blue sky, when there is no crisis, we all realize like it's building those relationships when there's not that stress that becomes really important. And I would say like for 21, it's been a great stabilizer. Um, And even though River to Ridge as a small local organization is facing our, you know, challenge, what I do see is the organizations that are statewide and national presence are stepping in and helping when we ask for it so readily. Um, and I think that's the same ones that we see in the Afghan guest effort. It's it's Red Cross, it's Team Rubicon, Salvation Army, it's you know the church organizations that I mentioned that they've got a, a huge base to pull from and they can move people around when the needs request it. And that's what they're really good at. Like when I presented at our regional update for our area, I believe it was in like Buffalo and Eau Claire County, there was this really high interest of, can we do something like River to Ridge there? And, 
you know, that the easy answer is, yeah, we can do that. And we can even share some of our templates, some of our data formats, things that worked for us, tips and tricks. And we'll, you know, do our best to help you get started because just becoming a federally recognized nonprofit can take up to a year to get everything done. And just, you know, just when you think you've got all your, your I's dotted and your T's crossed, right? There's another thing to figure out. And just having an organization to ask questions to is really helpful. Yeah, it's great that you'll be that resource for them and to try to spread out what you're doing. You know, it's building up those little localized networks, those localized agencies and organizations that's going to be huge to be able to respond to whatever disasters or emergencies come our way. And it's about building relationships at every level, right? It's at the local level, get to that county and state level. And then when there's national support on an effort like the Afghan guest, like you really, you know, as a person involved in it, you really feel like, oh, we are in this together. We're not alone. There's a lot of momentum being being created by the collective effort. And then you mentioned earlier the flooding that you were doing some relief work. So what were some of the direct actions you were launching into to help with some of that localized flood recovery? Sure. So uh, in 2018, when the really big back-to-back floods happened in this area, there was this immense just community outpouring of we want to help each other, we want to help our neighbors, and a lot of organizations made it an effort to try to get money and help to people right away, which was fantastic. But as the long-term group that had been active in 2007 and 2008 in the area, some of those experienced leaders knew that come three to six months, some of that support would not really disappear, but it would sort of fade into right the background of everything else that would be happening. And they knew that some of the repairs and buyout efforts would take more like a year to two or three years, depending on how in-depth they were. What we did right away in 2018 was created a space where if extra donations needed to go, they could funnel them to us. And we had an application process an unmet needs criteria list that we committed to helping both residents and small businesses in our local area with those funds and then making sure they were connected to all the services they also needed for either those repairs or buyouts, which as a side note, that means both private small businesses, maybe large businesses too, right? But also the government entities that are at play. And then oftentimes there's more non-government entities as well as nonprofits that are also helping out. So it becomes a coordination effort. And we are still assisting some of the last buyouts from that 2018 flood. You know, the counties that are leading in that effort are going as fast as they possibly can on on helping homeowners and small businesses figure out where safer places are to live and operate. That's great. And I know that looking back, people often, they think about the flooding happens, they think about that immediate couple of weeks, and it's like, okay, the water's receded, people are maybe getting back in homes, but there's all those projects and secondary pieces that don't really get hit until years later. Yeah. And it's stuff like just understanding if you can get flood insurance or not, like there, there are huge misconceptions out there, right? About who can get flood insurance and why, and at what rates when the truth is most of us could get some flood insurance protection for a small rider amount, but it's about asking the right questions and getting the right match to your property or your small business. And those are tricky things, and they don't really teach that in, in school. So no, that's not, it's not part of the regular curriculum. No, so. dang it. And that recovery from floods can just take years to fully achieve for communities. 
I know that one of our AmeriCorps programs, WISCOR, has had disaster crews that are still doing some cleanup from those 2018 floods. And these aren't doing those big projects communities have to immediately tackle, but it's getting those smaller things done. Last fall, I know they were cleaning up, for instance, the baseball field in Coon Valley so they could finally hold games again. And then hitting things in parks and outside of the local libraries. So what are some of the things that are still needing to get done in the area? Yeah, well, like you said, you know, Coon Valley, like some of them are experiencing reoccurring flooding. So for some of them, it's figuring out how do we relocate a portion of our of our community so that we don't deal with the reoccurring flooding. Um, I know Ontario is, I believe, going through that process right now. Other communities have already done it. And then, you know, they're, they're on a different trajectory for what they're focusing on. And yeah, like other, like we hear a lot right now about driveways, culverts, bridges that are on private property being the concern. And, you know, I know from the studies that are going on, there's a lot of innovative thinking going on about, well, if metal culverts aren't working, what's an alternative that might work? Is there, you know, cement work or riprap work that can really make a difference? And I think those are the efforts that we're really excited about because if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to spend a lot of money down a lot of kind of money pits versus if we can innovate and come up with better ways to adapt and mitigate some of the damage, those are going to be the longer win-wins. And that's what I sure hope we can do. Because when I look at my nieces and nephews living around here, like they want to be here so we can do this. That's wonderful. We definitely want to help keep those communities going and do what we can to help them become more disaster resilient. And then before we let you go, what are some ways that people who are interested can support different disaster recovery efforts? There's a lot of websites to check out. And if there's one organization that you heard today that you're interested in, I can guarantee they've got a website. I know Serve Wisconsin has an excellent website that features the Wisconsin VOAD co-ed efforts. River to Ridge, we have our own little website for ourselves. Welcome.us is excellent if you are specifically interested in the Afghan guest mission and support. I know for a fact, like Red Cross, Team Rubicon, Catholic Charities, United Way, Salvation Army, United Methodist, uh, Lutheran Social Services. There's a plethora of opportunities out there to get involved. And so really, you just have to try. Thanks, Jen, for sharing about all those opportunities that people can look into pursuing. I think folks can just start by finding the direction they might want to take it and then figure out how they want to best respond. And then just thank you so much for joining us today and for the work the River to Ridge is doing. And good luck with your continued efforts to help communities continue to thrive and your efforts spreading information about what's going on at Fort McCoy and how people can help. Thank you. And thank you, Kyle, for all you're doing. Take care. And now next, we're going to speak with Amy Woolman Nesseth from Northwest Wisconsin Healthcare Emergency Readiness Coalition about their response efforts. So first off, Amy, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the invitation to be here today. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Could you start off by telling us just a little bit about Northwest Wisconsin Healthcare Emergency Readiness Coalition and what you do? Sure. So the Wisconsin Healthcare Emergency Readiness Coalitions, there's actually seven of us. The state is divided geographically into these seven, what we call HERCs, or Healthcare Emergency Readiness Coalitions. We are pretty much identified by our geographical location. So I cover the northwest part of the state of Wisconsin and cover 15 counties and 
four tribes within that area. So the Northwest Wisconsin Healthcare Emergency Readiness Coalition, as all the others, are federally grant-funded through the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, but we are also all nonprofit organizations um, at this point in time. And so we have the ability to apply for and receive additional grant funding, and that is how we became connected with the Serve Wisconsin grant, and specifically around the Volunteer Generation Fund grant that was available last year. And you are our volunteer generation partner up in the northwest part of the state that's helping to build up the VOADs and COADs, these volunteer organizations assisting in disasters and community organizations assisting in disasters. What has building up these VOADs meant on the ground for you? And then how do you use them to communicate and coordinate with all the different agencies in your area? Sure. And I should probably back up and make it clear that our coalition is specifically made up of of core partners. And those include our hospitals within our region, our local and tribal public health departments, our local and tribal emergency management departments, our long-term care facilities, as well as our emergency medical service agencies. So basically anyone that touches health care in the northwest part of the region are considered part of our health care emergency readiness coalition. We don't participate necessarily in the day-to-day operations of any of those entities, but we're here as a regional level of support if and when the locals become overwhelmed in an emergency or disaster situation, and also to serve as a liaison with the state of Wisconsin. So we've been doing a lot of work, um, particularly around COVID. Um, We've been doing some work with the Afghan guests that are in Fort McCoy, But we specifically applied for the Volunteer Generation Fund grant this year to assist the Northwest WEM, or Wisconsin Emergency Management Region, because we thought that would be an opportunity for us to partner with our emergency managers and and to really help them um, meet a need that they have not been able to necessarily dedicate a lot of time and energy to because of other more pressing needs. So we were able to apply for and receive that grant. We have hired three Project managers, um, they are primarily retired folks who have some experience with emergency management in their backgrounds, either as educators or as emergency managers themselves. And we've divided the Northwest WEM region into, into three parts. And so they have been meeting with those local emergency managers. They've been uh, meeting with other volunteer organizations within the their assigned counties to really try to come up with a comprehensive list of current contact information for volunteer organizations within their assigned counties. And what we're finding is a lot of people have wonderful volunteer organizations, but they don't necessarily know how to connect with the broader volunteer organization active in disaster community. And so we are first and foremost trying to extend an invitation to participate with us. And secondly, we are helping organizations ask the question, what, if any, capabilities or capacities do we have to assist communities in times of disaster? And then thirdly, what kinds of training and education can we help provide to them so that they feel equipped and empowered to actually be a part of that disaster response should the time come? That's great. You've already been able to get three people on the ground and to try to work within each of those regions to help people realize how they can become part of these bigger networks. 
because it's not just that an organization could be great at what they do individually as an organization, but it's really looking at how do they become part of a bigger puzzle to help us respond to this disaster emergency for us to be able to really respond effectively as communities. And also, I think a lot of our volunteer organizations may never have considered that they could really have something that they could offer in times of a disaster. You know, in emergency management, we talk a lot about uh, space, staff, stuff, and systems as being key elements of emergency response. And some of our, I think of some of our faith communities or some of our snowmobile clubs or, or people like that, they're volunteer organizations. But when the disaster hits, they have people you know, they have people that may be willing to volunteer or they have they have space, they have buildings or they have storage or they have transportation or they have assets that they can bring to an emergency situation that they may never have considered before. So that's really our, our goal is to make that connection and then really help them think through that and then make again, make sure that they have the training and the, the ability to um, engage in the broader community. And you mentioned having been active in doing a lot of work around COVID-19. So what are some of the different activities or the different ways you've been mobilizing volunteers or others to respond to the pandemic? Well, one of the most important things that I think we can do as a HERC is that information sharing piece. The state of Wisconsin does have an emergency assistance volunteer registry program. I think many people are familiar with Weaver. What we're finding in this particular time is we are in the midst of a medical surge where we have a lot of our hospitals and a lot of our nursing homes in dire need of staff. And so trying to get the message to our communities in our Northwest region uh, that if you have any skills, either medical skills, or even if you are a cook or a veterinarian or um, people that have um, information technology skills, anybody that would be willing to share their skills in the time of a disaster to please get registered through the Weaver system. And then just for anybody that doesn't know, Weaver is the Wisconsin Emergency Assistance Volunteer Registry. Please sign up if you have the skills that might be able to respond there. And then how have you been sharing information or helping with the coordination of the response efforts that are aiming to assist the large number of Afghan guests now at Fort McCoy? Yeah, and that's been a, a real challenge for us. We are not the kind of organization like the Salvation Armies or the Red Crosses of the world that have um, extensive volunteer base or or buildings or transportation. The HERC is, is made up of different types of organizations, healthcare facilities. So we haven't been as successful in in you know going down and and bringing truckloads of of supplies. But I have been able to share again through my partners through our Facebook page. Um, through our communication networks that there have been needs. So for example, there was a very specific request for types of clothing initially. Um, and so being able to share that accurate information so that people weren't just dropping off bags of used, you know, uh, garage sale clothing, um, but clothing that was new, that was appropriate to the culture and, and appropriate to the season at the time was really important to get that out there. So I know that we have had some faith communities. We have had some hospitals that have done clothing drives, and then they have worked directly with Fort McCoy or Team Rubicon um, to get those donations, you know, sent to the appropriate place. And I know that's all part of the sharing information. Let people know exactly what those needs are is such a huge part of just working on that coordination part of the effort alone 
it lets people know the direction they can go in and what they should be able to do next. Exactly. And then, Amy, what are some other ways that you've been able to help coordinate or help use the different resources through the VOAD networks or through other pieces through the HER to uh, help create volunteers in response to different disasters? Yeah, I can give you an, a couple examples. In the six years that I've been in this role up here, we've had uh, three major wind or tornado experiences. And the HERC has really been able to partner with our local emergency managers or with our public health departments to help with the volunteer reception center. These are centers in particular for debris management or debris cleanup. So for example, we had the Wheaton Town tornado. Um, Very rural area, but there were some significant buildings that were damaged and there was debris everywhere. The community in Northwest Wisconsin, as in most of Wisconsin, definitely wants to come out and help their neighbors, which is a great thing. But again, if it's not organized or managed, you miss a couple opportunities. First of all, we can capture all of those volunteer hours, and that can help towards the match process for federal reimbursement and funding. And second of all, we want to make sure that our volunteers that come to assist are safe. And so we worked with the DNR incident management team, um, as well as with the local um, authorities, to make sure that we had a, a, a system where we could scan people um, into our system, give them a wristband, put them on a bus um, with a DNR person who was kind of the, the manager for that particular busload of volunteers. And then when they were done doing the work for the day, they came back to the volunteer reception center where we scanned them back in and accounted for all of those volunteers. So we knew that nobody was lost in the woods, you know, having been injured sometime during the day. So The HERC is very much involved in partnering during those kinds of experiences, and that has been a really um, a wonderful way to utilize very spontaneous community volunteers in a disaster situation. And then looking forward, what are some of the ways that people or organizations could try to help respond when there are future disasters going on? What would you recommend they do to support the work that you're doing and the work that the different VOADs that you're helping support are doing? Well, I strongly encourage people, um, if they have any interest in being involved in disaster response or emergency response, whether it's at your local community level or at the national level, like with the Red Cross or Salvation Army, um, get connected now. Don't, don't wait for the disaster to hit and then try to get connected with those organizations because um, many times it simply can't happen that quickly. So if you have any interest or desire in this, or you're just curious, I really encourage you to reach out to those organizations, get involved, go through their registration process, their training process, so that when the time comes, you are really ready to go. The second thing that I would say would be um, personal preparedness. We talk a lot about wanting to be able to help our communities, but honestly, if you don't have a personal preparedness plan in terms of who's going to take care of your pet or who's going to take care of picking up your children or who's going to take care of the business at home, um, you will not feel comfortable or able to go to the community or to other parts of the state or country to help in a disaster. So making sure that you've put some time and some effort into your own personal preparedness would also be a very important step. That's great. I'm going to make sure everybody's ready on all those fronts. 
Then, Amy, we just want to thank you so much for a talk with us today, and then thank you so much for the work that the HERC is doing up in northwest Wisconsin and for the work you're doing on helping get people ready for disasters of the future and helping respond to the stuff going on right now. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. So thanks so much, and then good luck, and hope everybody takes her advice and gets their self-signed up and ready to volunteer the future and gets their things planned out for what they can do if disaster comes on their own end as well. I, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. And then thank you again to both Jen and Amy for letting us dive into their S-Files for their organizations and giving us some more stories that we can file under service. Thank you for tuning in to the S-Files podcast produced by Serb Wisconsin. I'm your host, Kyle Clower. Your producer is Serb Wisconsin intern, Anna Daniker. And as always, a big thank you to everyone that serves here in Wisconsin. Remember, the S and S file stands for service, and you are the reason we have so many great stories to highlight. Tune in next time for another page pulled from the S files.